0: way edition is back for another episode i am brian damaris former director of basketball development for the dallas mavericks you can also see me on valley sports with Devin harris pre and post on d magazine on the ticket post game show on radio and of course on our patreon pod and with me as always the voice of the mavericks and only the mavericks right now in his life mark followell how are you mark
1: I'm very good, Brian. Speaking to you today as we're recording this on Wednesday, November the 10th from Chicago, Illinois, as uh, the poet Carl Sandberg once referred to it as, um, I believe, hog butcher for the world, tool maker, stacker of wheat, player with railroads, the nation's freight handler, stormy, husky, brawling city of the big shoulders. So
0: there you go. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, he has that in that follow el head of his somewhere stored. <laughs> that is not yeah. on a note card. Yeah, Carl Sandberg. So there you go. Did you have a Giordano's pizza last night? No, man, I'm not a deep-dish pizza
1: guy. I'm a, uh, thin, right. I'm very much a thin-crust pizza well, guy, which I know all, that's an anthema. Yeah, that's an anthema to people in Chicago. But...
0: It's a stuffed pizza.
1: Okay, well, well that is also something. I, that's also something I would not be into. <laughs> so you haven't
0: tried it. You just decided you're against it.
1: No, I have tried it, and I don't. I like my crust thin on pizza. I do. It's just yeah, uh, we're going to have to have a conversation a, <laughs> about this offline. This is really it's just really disappointing. That's just one of my uh, peccadillos, I guess. So, how's it going with you, man? Yeah, uh, but no, a, yeah. No Chicago. No Chicago foodie deep dish pizza.
0: No Gibson's. Did you go to Gibson's?
1: I did not go to Gibson's. There's um, a Cuban restaurant really close to the hotel that I walked to last night, they did not have, of course, I went there for their Ropa Vieja, because that's just like kind of a, you know, a, uh, a style of uh, Cuban marinated, slow-cooked, extremely tender roast beef with rice and and peppers and stuff like that, and some plantains on the side, but their Ropa Vieja wasn't ready, so I just had a Cuban
0: sandwich, which... Because when yeah, you think was, Cuban food, Chicago really is the first city that comes to mind. <laughs> it's Miami, then it's Chicago.
1: It's right up there. So, and of was, course, you order
0: it like that. Ropa vieja. You have to say it in your, uh, you know, Spanish for dummies dialect that you've learned, instead of just <laughs> ordering it, so you can act like you're simpático with them.
1: <laughs> well, I try to work in my accent for my for my Spanish as much as I can. So. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, there was a bit of a bummer that that was not, uh, on the menu last night it was on the menu. It just wasn't, um, it wasn't available for whatever reason, because the slow cooking was taking was going too slowly. So, um, really that was cooking. my, yeah, that was my, that was my exciting dinner. And then, uh. I'm going to one of the best uh, food courts around later today. I think I am anyway. I've got to exactly work out my lunch plans with a friend who lives up here, who used to work for FC Dallas, who now works for the Chicago Blackhawks. So,
0: well, you are in Chicago because we are, uh, as we record this, ten games into the Mavs season and a seven and three record. We thought no better way to kind of get the pulse of where this team is than talk to the great. Jeff skin Wade, your broadcast partner and mine on Valley sports. Uh And of course we can hear him on the Eagle from two to five, the flagship home of the Mavs with the Ben and skin show. And so, uh, I know you guys got to work a couple of games, uh, on your own when harp was out. And, uh, there's no one more knowledgeable about this team for a long period of time than skin, uh, to get the heartbeat of what he thinks is going on as well.
1: Yeah, man, for sure. So, uh, Yeah, uh, I'm very much looking forward to what he's got to say because we haven't had a chance necessarily to talk to the team, talk about the team, I should say, in this kind of form. So very much looking forward to it.
0: All right. Well, let's get back to it. Uh, Take that with you, Mads Edition, with the great skin. Well, as we mentioned, it's only special guests at VIPs here on Take That With You, com edition, and there's no one better to bring on than the man you know from the Ben and Skin Show on 2 to 5 on the flagship home of the Mavs. And also you hear him on pre- and post-game show and the Mavs broadcast for many, many years, the great Jeff skin Wade, How are you, Skin?
2: Gentlemen, I'm doing so good, but I'm worried about you guys. This early in the season to be at the bottom of the VIP list is really a rough <laughs> showing for you. I'm concerned about the future of this endeavor, uh, so man, I figured we'd be doing Cuban at this point. You guys are really scraping the bottom of the barrel. We is, is it a bad
1: sign that we tumbled from Jason Kidd for our first interview to Skin for our second interview?
2: I, well, if that's the case, I better work my way onto the staff pretty damn quick. <laughs>
1: Well, hey, man, it's ten games into the season. We got to get, uh, you know, we figure this is a good time for some perspective, as we like to call it, right, Brian?
0: Indeed, skin. So yeah, I mean, we, we we're recording this uh, right before the Chicago game. Uh, actually, Mark is in Chicago, and we already had a little conversation about how he doesn't like stuffed pizza. So that's a that's a uh, argument for Whoa. another time. Whoa. Exactly. But uh, that really shook me. I'm still kind of uh, on uneasy ground here. But uh, uh, where's your pulse with this thing? I mean, there's positives, there's negatives. We have a new scheme. We have a new staff. We have a new front office. We have changes they're making on both sides of the ball. Yet they're seven and three. Their point differential is uh, pretty horrendous because of a couple of blowouts, but they're beating the teams they need to and taking care of their home court. So, How are you thinking about this team uh, 10 games in?
2: Well, I'm really excited about it because there's tremendous room for growth. And when there's tremendous room for growth and you're 7-3, and I think that's exceedingly positive. Uh, For example, I would much rather have the Mavericks record than have the Atlanta Hawks record as they figure out who they are. I mean, I would assume that – I haven't talked to you guys about them, but I would assume that all three of us are rather – uh, positive about the future of the Hawks and the team they've put together. And so I look at it and I go, there's a lot of things that I think that they're going to do well that they haven't done well yet. And and yet here they are at seven and three. And I realize a lot of that has to do with the schedule. So then we look at that and we go, okay, haven't the Maverick teams of recent memory not taken care of home court and played with their food against bad teams and lost? So, you know, whenever you have, even though the players are mostly the same, whenever you have a new staff and new outlook, those things take time to gel. And uh, I just look at this and go, man, I think this is a team that's going to make a lot of its three-point shots. I think this is a team that's going to be a high-functioning offensive team. And I see a lot of progress defensively, and I especially see in the last two games the ripple effect of Porzingis being healthy. Because when you are bringing... Jalen Brunson and Reggie Bullock and the way Neela Kina is developing and those sorts of guys off the bench. I mean, go look at that Pelicans game. The Pelicans are bad, but the Mavericks beat them when they went to the bench. They obliterated them. And that's going to be a strength of this team. So there's a lot of things that have frustrated me early on, but I just see so much room for growth. I'm very pleased that they're seven and three while trying to figure it out. Yeah,
1: um, that's you brought up to me one of the big time circle underline put an exclamation point behind it aspect of what's happened early on with this team. And I don't know in what way you would want to elaborate on it, but I'll put it up and set it up on a T for you to elaborate on. And that is um, last year, for example, the Mavs were 10 and 7 on their home floor against teams that finished under 500. That's not a good record to be 10-7 against under 500 teams on your home floor. So the whole idea of, okay, well, yeah, they're 7-3 against uh, a subpar schedule that they played for the most part. However, to me, that's like that's one of the big positives of the early portion of the season is that compared to what we've seen in the past. And by the way, I don't believe and I don't have the numbers to support this, but I don't believe that uh, we're talking about anything that was different in the year before. I think this was also an area of frustration in the 2019-20 season as well to lose to teams that you feel like you shouldn't lose to on your home floor. So, you know, a, a couple of questions here. That would be the first thing that I would kind of put out there for you at this point.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with a mentality and, and it's not like they're um, it's not like they've been great in that regard. I think if you look at the new Orleans game and you look at the, um, the Boston game, I think that they came out and played with a body language that was, we're better than these guys and we're kind of messing around. And I'm glad that they ended up winning those games but I'm glad that it became difficult for them. I think they came out at halftime and were like, Boston ain't going to score. They don't have Jalen. They're screwed. We got mm-hmm. this. And, and then they had to bust their ass, and Porzingis had to show why he matters to this team in the fourth quarter to get in a position to win that game. New Orleans' game was the same way. Like, I remember me, you, and Hart were all really, or at least I felt like we were all really surprised when we looked up with six minutes to go, and KP and Luka and the boys were checking in. Yeah. Well, dude, they rolled in like it was senior day. You talk about casual basketball. I mean, it didn't take but three possessions to go, uh oh, they are totally doing a Globetrotters routine here. This is <laughs> not that. There was no sense in putting them back in if they were going to play like that. They had taken the night off. And so, again, you look down and you go, okay, well, what they win by 16 or whatever it was? But those are the kind of games that they lost last year. And I think that those are really important lessons. And I also, you know, based on everything we know about Jason Kidd as a player, uh, you know, I can't really comment on what the inner workings were in Brooklyn or in Milwaukee. We've all read certain things. But Jason Kidd was the kind of guy as a player that if you didn't do your job, he would meet you at your locker. And it got very real. And so that sort of approach to competitiveness and uh, professionalism is something that, he brings to this and probably alongside whatever relationship he can craft with Luka Doncic is the absolute reason that he is here. And the people that were involved in making that decision know that about him because they want a championship with him as a player in that exact role. So I think the early uh, details and early evidence of what we're talking about is showing itself because, in the past, they would have lost one of those San Antonio games. They would have lost to Boston when Boston got momentum and those kinds of things, and those aren't happening early on.
1: Or would have lost to Sacramento, because obviously they did a really good job of doing that last year in three games, as we <laughs> Absolutely. Know,
0: Man, Mark year. won't yes. let that go. He <laughs> is.
1: I'm very, very frustrated by that. Okay, it so was. another another thing that you brought up about the whole concept of, and sometimes I do think that this, not, not universally, but I think there are times – when this might make the casual fan eye roll a little bit, the whole idea of a team gelling over the course of a season. So let me, let me bring this up to you, Skin, for further comment in whatever direction you would like to take it. Uh, the idea that it is a new staff, a new system that you're putting in place. On media day, I asked this question to Jason about shortened off season. So how do you balance the fact that you have players who you probably want to err on the side of caution with physically because everybody had a short off season yet again, as we know. Um, I mean the Mavs stopped playing in June out of out of the first round of the playoffs and training camp started on a normal schedule this year at the very end of September. So I asked the question, how do you balance a short off season and managing that? And the fact that, in theory, I think you should probably have a pretty busy training camp with a lot of hard work because you're wanting to implement your concepts in your system. And he said, well, we will, of course, be working on that. But the implementation of our system and our concepts is not just going to be a training camp thing. Things will be put in place over the duration of the season. So I thought I would uh, point that out, that you know there are still presumably concepts, wrinkles, adjustments. Uh, realization of players' strengths and weaknesses that will then manifest itself and how they play and what they do system wise for lack of a better term scheme wise for lack of a better term uh, as the season unfolds. So so that's my long setup for you to riff on the idea of the team gelling as the season continues to unfold for the next 72 games.
2: Yeah, no. So that, uh, that entire scenario, what you're talking about is to me, one of the biggest disconnects between people who play and coach and people like us and fans is not understanding that. Mm -hmm. And there are so many scenarios where we talk about these sorts of things and it's almost like players and coaches are speaking a different language than we are. And the whole Mm -hmm. idea of how a season unfolds and the grind and some of those things uh, is real. And, and it has to be lived. You know, I, I still maintain to this day that the 2007 Mavs burnt out after they won. I yes. believe they won six games in a row on that East Coast road trip in March. And that that's when that team peaked and they never really quite recovered it. We can talk about matchups and all this other stuff. But... This is not to go full Jason Garrett here, but this is a process and this is moving towards something and more so than the NBA than in other sports, because the NBA, if you're going to win a championship, you are playing for two months and you're going to hopefully, you know, you're going to end up playing well over 20 games if you go on a long run. And that's that's like an entirely different thing. And so this is especially with a new staff. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and criticize what's happened with the Dallas Mavericks for the previous decade, but it had gotten, um, you know, static. And so this is a, this is a seismic shift and it ain't going to happen, uh, in the, it ain't going to happen in the calendar year, 2021. This is a very long haul. And the other thing that you keep hearing Jason Kidd talk about is the inevitable ruts that they are going to hit. And they're going to hit those ruts, mm-hmm. and uh, that's all part of this. And when you have a team in which your best players are younger players that haven't been through this like this, they've got to learn how to go through that too. They, because because Luca is so incredible, and we're you know we can sit here and we can talk about him for an hour and not talk about flaws, but because he is so incredible. I think there is this perception that he should be doing things already or that he's already done them that only happen with experience. The, the, The expectations for Luca are absurd when you realize he hasn't really learned the NBA yet. He's learned situations and he is inherently brilliant at doing a lot of things. But there are a lot of things that are grind related, a lot of things that are understanding human nature and all that stuff that comes with experience. And that's the number one reason that Jay Kidd is here is to shepherd him through that because he has lived that. And he's also been with players. I mean, say what you want about the Brooklyn situation. It was his job to coach KG. You know, he's also a guy that unlocked Giannis in a lot of ways. And so that is if you want to look at pros and cons of Jason Kidd, it is very much a pro. Look at what he did with Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, that guy handpicked Dirk Nowitzki. It's like that's my last chance to win a championship. I picked that guy and he was right. And so the the hard part is over. You get Luka Doncic. There's franchises that have never had a Luka Doncic ever. You can make an argument that the, the Indiana Pacers never have. Reggie Miller's incredible. He wasn't Luka. I mean, there, there's franchises, so we we got two, man, and so we're working on the next one. And he's incredibly young and incredibly inexperienced, and so all of those things that Kid has laid out about growing and where we're headed and implementing things—that's from experience, and that man knows. So I, I buy into all of that, and I think the expectations for Luca are high because he's so incredible. But to expect him to have the mindset. An experience of a 26, 27-year-old NBA player is absurd, and I don't know why people are already expecting that of him.
0: Yeah, I think he hit the nail on the head. You know, Mark and I have talked about this, where it's it's the Milwaukee comp from last year, right? Because remember, they before they won the title, they flamed out two years in a row, once against Miami, once against Toronto. Giannis couldn't figure out the wall. Defensively, they weren't switching, and they made a concerted effort. Bud knew it was his last chance or he was going to get whacked. Uh, Giannis was frustrated, and they they started switching in the defense. During the season, they were losing games. They kept calling it a process. They kept saying, listen, we're willing to sacrifice some games now to learn what we need to do in the playoffs and get better Mm -hmm. because we know if we play the same way again, we're going to get bounced again. And with the Mavs, they know that they can play a Luka and four-shooters style and win during the regular season, you know, the run-and-shoot offense of NBA. Uh, but when teams can scheme against that defensively, um, you can take that away. You can trap him, right. get the ball out of his hands in clutch time. Obviously, they can do that in the playoffs when you have seven games to scheme. And so they just have to figure out other ways to, uh, to do things on both sides of the ball so that come – May and June, they're winning those games, and I think one of those key ways is with KP, and so I want to get your, your thoughts on him because they're obviously playing him differently than what the last regime played him, where mainly he was a pick-and-pop guy, a spacing guy, uh, analytics-driven. You're seeing more of what you saw in New York. I like to kind of um, view it as a combination, right? Like, uh, I, I I make the cop to where, you know, Dirk under Nelly was, face the basket, shoot from deep, uh, under Avery he was, back to the basket, Tim Duncan-like, and Rick kind of melded those two together. And I think mm-hmm. that's what you're seeing here, is a melding of the Rick Carlisle version of KP with the New York Knicks version of KP. And I want to get your, your thoughts on how that's going early on.
2: Yeah, I, I really like that analogy, Brian. And you said uh, several things there that, you know, I, my brain went crazy and I and liked thinking about and wanted to comment on. Number one, you know, Uh, The way we talk about analytics and the way we talk about data, like data is the result of something that's already happened. Right. And so we go, okay, well, these if we utilize this data and we steer towards what this is, then there's this record of success here. And that's why we're doing it. However, there are things that can happen in the game that can then change the information. And then so you start buying towards trends that have been created by new sets of information based on what's happened on the court. Right. And so to be stuck, one of the things that Rick had a lot of great qualities, one of the things that I did not like about Rick, uh, his coaching style is I think he would slot players. Yeah. And I think quite frankly, poor Zingas got slotted here and it may not just be Rick. It may be other guys on the staff, just like everyone tends to say everything about Jason Kidd when he's got a very, uh, vast staff with a lot of guys with a lot of responsibilities. People only talk about the coaching of kid. Same thing with Rick here. Like there's not enough talked about what Terry Stotts did or Dwayne Casey or Roland beach or on and on and on. Everybody contributes to that, but it's Rick did this and Rick did that. So, I do want to comment on that, that I do think Kristaps Porzingis was slotted here. And so that's another reason why it's good that there's a new regime with a fresh take on him because he is the key to the Dallas Mavericks. And I'm not saying he's going to work out, but I'm saying if they're successful, it's because he did work out. Because all the chatter that happens about why didn't they get this and why didn't they get that, they did get this. It was Kristaps Porzingis, and because of the assets they gave up for him, he needs to work. They need to make him work. And if they were to go and try to have traded him this past offseason, people would have like reacted emotionally and said, oh, great, it was good to get rid of him. But you would not have liked the return that you got for him. The return that you need for him is him to be the player that they thought. Now, obviously, that is contingent on his health. And I think I, I can't speak for you guys. I was very frustrated by a tight back. I was like, oh, my God, what is happening? This is how we're starting the season? This really upsets me. Uh, And then when he came back in these two games, I feel like you instantly saw why he matters so much. He matters for their defensive versatility. You can do a lot of different things on defense if he is going to play defense like that. Follow wills heard me say this a million times. I have no numbers to back this up. This is total eyeball test. Put that man on the move. Put that seven-foot-three dude that moves like that moving towards the basket when he catches the ball. It'll be an array of five-footers, dunks, and trips to the free-throw line. He is way too tall and way too fluid for guys to stop that when it already has a head of steam going. And he is agile and skilled enough to make that work offensively. I way prefer that than to him catching it standstill 15 feet from the basket. I used to get very, very frustrated in the early days of Dirk posting up as to where he would allow himself to get shoved off of position. Dirk had to learn how to leverage all of that stuff. All of these things matter, but, but I'm, getting, I'm getting lost in the sauce. Uh, Christoph Porzingis is the key to the season. Because he is far and away, for better, or for worse, whatever anybody's opinion is, he is far and away the second most talented player on this roster. I'm not talking about results. I'm talking about talent. It ain't even close. You got him as a whatever he was, 22-year-old all-star coming off of injury to pair him with Luca, And you gave up two first-round picks, and you gave up a, a former lottery player, and on and on and on. That was your bucket of talent. Your bucket of assets to improve your team around Luca, and so people can go bitch on Twitter, do whatever they want. <laughs> He's got to work out. He needs to be the player that everyone in the league thought he was going to be. And we can do revisionist history all we want, but I remember that day very, very well. I was uh, on Super Bowl row, uh, media row for, for the Super Bowl in Denver, and the story came down. At about 1 in the afternoon or 12.30 in the afternoon. And Woj listed eight teams that were dying to get in. And guess what? They were teams with great front offices. And the Mavericks weren't listed. And an hour later, we had Kristaps Porzingis. Go back and look at the articles from that time. The Mavericks were not mentioned. It was the Spurs and all these other teams. And so what I'm saying was this wasn't just the Mavericks missed on their evaluation. Every team in the league wanted that guy. And so now it is imperative that the Mavericks, that one, his, his health works out, and that two, he reaches his full potential. Because if he does, that's a very difficult team to defend. And suddenly the Jalen Brunsons are better, the Maxi Klebas are better, the Tim Hardaway Juniors are better, because you have two guys that you have to scheme for. And you don't really have to scheme for a guy if he's standing at a 45-degree angle waiting for the ball to come his way.
1: Okay, so I have uh, two more questions here before we get done. And then and whatever questions Brian has here before the end, I just have a, a hard out to catch the bus for shoot around here in like uh, seven or eight minutes or so. So I'll ask shorter questions Skin, to give you the chance to give you some room and space to chit-chat and say what you have to say. You said a moment ago that the second best uh, player is KP. Uh, and you said you would said, and I liked how you phrased it because you said talent, not results. Results this year, the second best player has been, I think we would all agree, um, or maybe we don't, I don't know, but Jalen Brunson is kind Heck of yes. the place I'm trying to get to. So, Heck yes. uh, the, the first of my last two questions here is, uh, what would you like to say about what you've seen out of him in the first 10 games out of the year?
2: Man, he looks like, uh, like some of the things he's doing, he's been doing right. But the fashion in which he does them like that just screams veteran that just screams, guy that knows what he wants to do and goes about his business and does it. And, you know, those things happen over time, especially for a bench player, uh, which he has mostly been. Uh, I, I used to, you know, and it's probably why he slipped to the beginning of the second round, but I used to place uh, mental, uh, my own mentality, limitations on what he could or couldn't be, kind of the same way I did JJ Berea early in his career, in which I was very, very wrong. Uh, And I think the thing that has really set him apart and we started to see it last year, but his ability to pull up from range has changed the way that I look at Jalen Brunson in terms of what his ceiling is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, obviously when he came into the league, he didn't really shoot the ball with range, especially off of the dribble Uh, his, his pull up jumper. I have immense confidence in and guys that like he's uh, anybody that plays in this league is a great athlete. But uh, he's not one of those guys. In comparison to other NBA players, that is an explosive athlete. He's very smart. He's uh, he knows what his abilities are. He also has the asset of being built like a barrel. I mean, he is a strong, strong man. And so he has figured out, you know, in, in the in season four, where how to get to the spots he wants to get to to maximize his ability. And now that he has this little hesitation dribble, he does where he brings his hand up like he's gonna you know pull up and he uses it to blow by guys. And that has become a really incredible move for him. You see him torch guys in that mid range because they think when that hand comes up, he's gonna grab the ball and pull. And uh, and you know when you're trying to stay in front of somebody, you know they tell you to focus in on the midsection because the midsection won't move. But your instincts when you see that other hand come up is, okay, we're about to have a pull up jumper. That's your defensive instincts. And he has used that to blow by guys. And it's a really, really good move. And it speaks to his experience and knowing where he can excel on an NBA floor. Because if you are a shorter guy, that's not Dennis Smith jr. Jumping out of the gym or whatever, you have to figure out your spots. JJ Barea had to figure out how to get around playing in that land of giants that can all jump in the gym. Uh, so jump to the roof rather. So, I look at Jalen Brunson as what we are seeing right now is we are seeing a man that fully understands what he can do and is working towards taking advantage of his assets. And it just speaks to his basketball intelligence. And I think that he is becoming that second creator that the Mavericks so desperately need. Every team in the NBA needs like a 6'6 or 6'7 dude that can create, and he's not that. But he is certainly... Uh, an incredible compliment to, uh, you know, what Luca does. And then also the spacing issues that are, or spacing assets that are created by Tim Hardaway Jr. and Chris Stops. I, I have been so impressed with him. And there's been certainly been games where he was better than Luca, really.
1: Okay. Here's my last one for you. Uh, we all love the Mavs. We all know that. Everybody, you know, watches the broadcast, listens to the podcast, and everything like that. But just to be, uh, fair guy just to be uh, somebody just to provide a little balance here uh 10 games in looking at the future what if anything maybe there's nothing but what if anything is keeping you up at night about these guys
2: (laughs) i mean i i'm i'm always going to worry about christophe's health until we have sustained stretches where he's healthy to make me forget about that uh the other thing i was worried about is I was very much worried about, like, when a guy comes into the league and shoots the lights out, you know, I don't worry about him. Like, I don't worry about Tim Hardaway Jr. going through stretches where he can't buy a bucket because, dude, he going he gonna to get some buckets. Right. I do worry about a guy like Dorian that had to turn himself into a shooter. And when he goes through those, you know, stretches where he can't buy but because he's so important to this team with his defense and especially his rebounding – This is, you know, this is a team that needs a group effort rebound wise. And I just, you know, how many times have we talked on the broadcast about Dorian creates another opportunity for these guys or Dorian is it's one of those times when a guy like Valanchunas is in there and Dorian has to jump in there and keep the ball alive. So somebody else can get it. He's so important with that stuff. But if his jump shooting is going to fall back to a below average or even worse like what we saw in the first two weeks of the season that keeps me up at night but i know he's going to work through it the only reason that it causes me stress is because he wasn't a shooter you know he had to turn himself into a consistent guy and so and i feel the same way about maxi i mean maxi hasn't really had those stretches where he just completely falls apart but you know maxi and and dorian had to turn themselves into shooters so those are the kind of things that, that caused me a little bit of stress. Um, but more than anything, Chris Topps has to be healthy and prove that he can sustain his health. I mean, I think that is far and away the biggest key to this season, and I don't even think it's close.
0: Mark, this is why we have skin on. I mean, this guy, you know, you have that well brain, but this man knows his basketball. Skin, He does, man. It's thank great you analysis. so much for joining us on Maps.com edition. Yes, it may have been a slight drop off, but uh, we weren't exactly scraping the bottom of the barrel here. After Jay Kid, uh, maybe we'll just have to we'll have to get Dirk to keep the VIP, VIP train going here. Make sure well, we have I, a, you're definitely on the Mount I, Rushmore. I,
2: I didn't want to sound derivative, but I never got to use my go to phrase, most definitely, uh, because I just thought <laughs> everybody would think I'm copying kids. So. I enjoyed it, dudes. Y'all are uh, fun to talk hoops with. Yeah, man,
1: we could talk senior. a lot. Yeah, we could easily do a lot more, that's for sure,
0: man. We'll continue to well, watch I, uh, you on the broadcast and on uh, the flagship Home of the Mavs with Bennett's skin showing two to five during the week.
2: All right, verbal hugs,
0: my dude. See you later. Thanks, guys.